Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. I want to invite David Paul to come up. And he's going to be the one who brings the word of God for us this morning. Uh, David, before you get up to, uh, to speak, I want to just introduce you a little bit. I first met David, what, about five years ago? I, I went to his church um, in Indonesia. It's a church pastored by a good friend of mine, an old <clears throat> friend, a guy I actually babysat when he was younger. <laughs> and he invited me to speak, and I, I first met David and his wife, B, there. And uh, then I found out a year later that your daughter, Sarah, was coming to study at Wheaton. Mm-hmm. So she visited our church for a little while, and uh, I got to meet you when you came to visit her, and you visited our church. Most recently... Um, Ed and I got a chance to go this past February to Jakarta to visit you and your wife and get to know you a little better and to tour the work that you've done there. And we came home blown away. And I I think what really moved us the most was had you been a full-time missionary, we would still have been impressed. But what you need to know about David is he works full-time like everyone else in this room in a career path professional job, he works for an Italian company called Turboden, which is, I hope I pronounced it right, <clears throat> which is it's owned by Mitsubishi. And David is an electrical engineer by training. He now oversees sales and business development in all of Southeast Asia for this company in the area of renewable energy. Have I got that right? Correct. He and his wife, B, met at Northern Illinois University in DeKalb. Do we have any Huskies? In the room? Yeah, that's right. We used to run a, a campus ministry there for like seven years, and a number of you guys who are here, we met at that campus ministry. Well, David and B met as students in DeKalb, and they got married in 1990. That was uh, the year I was graduating from university. And then they moved away, and he, they continued to do that work there. But while he's serving as a business professional, he serves the Lord with all his heart. And he and B are partners in this ministry, and I'm so grateful you're here today and that you're willing to take the pulpit and also to share your work with us as we explore a possible partnership with you. So as he takes the stage, let's give him a hand. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. God bless. Thank you, Pastor Dave. I really appreciate that warm welcome. Yes, it is true that I'm an engineer by profession, and I When I say that I'm an electrical engineer, it does create a spark most of the time. Yeah, it does charge up the place a bit as well. But people do get shocked, totally shocked when I tell them that I actually specialized in high-voltage engineering. I know, it's not a current joke. (laughs) And probably I do sense some resistance from this section. (laughs) However... I do thank Pastor Dave for giving me an outlet for these electrical puns. Anyway, Ed, it's so good to see you again, my friend. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you there with us and host you for a little bit. Um, and Ed did confirm this morning to me what I had suspected for many, many years. Uh, that is his favorite hymn, and uh, the favorite hymn of most dentists is, Crown Him with Many Crowns. <laughs> so good to see you. Well, anyway... 
I am going to be talking today uh, from the book of um, um, Luke, on the chapter um, 10, okay? But before I, begin, uh, before I uh, start my message, I want to read something about Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave is one of the most um, uh, charismatic, um, godly, handsome... Pastor Dave, I'm having a hard time reading your handwriting. <laughs> well, anyway, um, when Pastor Dave asked me to talk here about a month ago, I, was, um, I said okay quite fast after discussing with my wife. But at that night, when I woke up in the middle of the night, I was uh, actually almost went into a panic at the thought of standing in front of all of you. Um, I didn't know if I could do that, but then I remembered the wonderful words of Jesus in Mark eleven twenty four, and he, where he says, "Therefore, if you ask anything in prayer in my name, I believe that you have received it, and you will have it." So it was all simple. All I had to do was ask, and I'll get it. Receive what I ask for. So I prayed a simple prayer, and the peace of God came over me, and I was able to sleep peacefully that night. But, um, as you can see, gentlemen and ladies, the Lord did not answer my prayer. I did not catch the flu, and I still had to come and talk in front of you today. But I'm happy to have this privilege. So we're going to talk today about loving my neighbor, and it's going to be uh, on the story of the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan. Let me just read the passage first, and then we'll dig into it, Okay. If you wouldn't mind, would you stand with me and let's read together this parable. All right. Starting from verse 25. Just read with me. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he's asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Please be seated. So today, we're going to just talk about two main things from this passage. Loving myself. And loving my neighbor. Just two main topic, main uh, points, okay? Loving myself and loving my neighbor. Because if you remember, Jesus said as a second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. 
So the first question that comes to mind is, how can I love myself? How can I truly love myself? Okay? So the first question we have to answer today is, who am I? If I were to ask that question, there will be plenty of different answers, right? Well, somebody might say, my name is Ed, but that's not who you are, that's your name. Or you might say, I'm a, I'm a girl. That's your gender, right? Or somebody might say, I'm a teacher, that's your, what you do. And another person might say, well, I am a, uh, I'm an American, that's your nationality, right? Or you might say, I'm Chinese, and that is uh, your ethnicity. So who are you really? To understand this, we need to understand who we are in Christ. What does the Bible say we are? What are the deep truths that we find in the Bible that defines who we are? Who am I? And when we start believing that, that's going to have a transforming effect on our lives and will help us to love ourselves the way we are intended to. So what are some of these deep truths that we find in the Bible? First of all, the Bible teaches us that each of us is created in the image of God, right from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. When we commit our lives to Christ, we become a child of God and adopted into his family. We have been redeemed and forgiven of all of our sin. Nothing can separate us from God's great love. Okay? God loves me with this Hesed kind of love. You can see those references there. And if you want to note that down, we'll have a copy of this hopefully that you can have later. So God loves me with this Hesed kind of love. When we are able to understand and recognize these deep truths, it frees us to be able to love ourselves the way God wants us. So what is this Hesed love? This is, the, this is how it is written in the original language. And it's no, most normally translated as loving kindness of God. What is the definition of loving kindness? The consistent, ever faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, intense love of our Father God. This is the description of the love of God for each of us. And if we are able to believe that in our heart, it should transform the way we think of ourselves. Okay? This is the deep truths of the word that, tra- that transforms from within. If we think of ourselves as something great, based on our own abilities, based on our looks or our achievements, that's not um, the real deep truths that will sustain us through those times that will surely come our way. So the deep truths of the Bible is that God finds us deeply lovable. And in order for us to love ourselves, we need to be able to understand God's deep love for us. Okay, I'm going to tell you a short story about Johnny Lingo. Who has heard of this story? Anybody? Johnny Lingo. Not a single person? Okay. Johnny Lingo lived in the Hawaiian Islands in the, about 150 years ago, in the mid-1800s. And his, um, in fact, there was a movie done about him. He was a very young man, maybe about mid-twenties. He was not only young and uh, handsome, but he was also very rich. He was a great trader. He was able to make a lot of money trading in these Hawaiian islands. And it was the customary in that island for uh, if a young man wants to ask for a young lady in marriage, he would go to this uh, uh, girl's father and offer a dowry for the girl's hand. In marriage, and the dowry was normally uh, not much more than just a sheep or a goat. And 
if the, if the woman was very pretty, a cow, okay? Cow was the highest. Huh? But um, there have been very few girls who had gotten cows in this island, okay? Most of them was just a sheep or a goat. And now, <clears throat> there was on that island this girl called uh, uh, Makana, Makana, Mahana, sorry, Mahana, uh, had grown up in a family that was not really um, affirming, meaning her father did not really think much of her. She was not very good-looking, and she was not very confident in herself, and um, she had always been raised to believe she's not going to amount to anything. Okay? So when it came time for uh, Johnny to ask for a bride, everybody was wondering, who is he going to ask? Because he could get anybody he wanted, a lot of the women Girls uh, had their eye on him, but surprisingly, he goes to the father of Mahana and asks for a hand in marriage. And uh, the, the man, poor man couldn't understand why he wants his uh, daughter, who was not much, uh, to look at and so on. And so, but the man said, okay, what will you give me for a dowry? And he said, um, would you give me a cow for her? He was trying to be a little bit greedy here, so he wanted a cow. But Johnny said this. He said, I don't want to give you one cow for her, but I'll give you ten cows. Okay? Johnny Lingo and his ten-cow wife is the story. Now, if you Google it, you'll see it seriously. Just check it out, okay? <laughs> now, his friends asked him, Johnny, you are a trader. You made your money by being very shrewd with your dealings. How come you're giving away ten cows for somebody you could just get for a maximum one cow. And he said this. He said, she is worth it to me. She is worth it to me. So after the marriage, they left the island, and it was 20 years before they came back to that same island. And when they came back, when Johnny and his wife, Mahana, came back, it looked like she was a totally different person. You can see how she looks after 20 years. So people thought maybe he had divorced Mahana and married somebody else, but it was the same person. What had happened in these 20 years is that one truth changed her life. She realized that she is worth it. She is worth something huge, something very precious. Okay? Now, this is what I want you to know carefully from this um, the slide, is that you and I are worth the price that God has paid for us. If we can grasp the depth of that truth, it will absolutely transform our lives. Okay? It is the fact that Jesus Christ, the the maker of this universe, found you and I precious enough to come and die for us should transform what we believe about ourselves and why we, need, why we can love ourselves. It's not because inherently there's something good. It's because somebody who made the universe thought you were you know, precious enough to die for you. Do you understand? This truth will help you to start loving yourself the way that you are meant to love yourself. So first point here. I have to personally know and experience this deep truth to be able to fully love myself. Okay? So we, each of us is born at a certain time. And then we hear the news of the gospel. And somewhere down the line we say, yes, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he wants me to have a relationship with him. And we commit our lives to him. We say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. Somewhere down the line, physically, we will die. Right? But in between the time we are committing our life to Christ and in the, uh, and the time we die, 
the Lord has a plan for us to grow into Christ's likeness. You remember that verse in Romans 8.29? It says that God's purpose is for us to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is to become more like Christ. And during this phase, slowly the power of sin is being broken in our lives. And we become more and more like Christ. During this phase of our life, as we learn to understand the depth of Christ's love for us, not only do we learn to love ourselves first, but we also experience his experiencing his love frees us to love others the way we should so how do you first love your neighbor you first of all understand the depths of god's love for yourself that frees you to love yourself and then secondly it frees you to love your neighbor now what we call here the first part is being being in christ and that leads to doing loving others so being and doing are two parts of the same coin, so to say, but being is important, the first step to starting to do, to love others. You know, which is more important, being or doing? Anybody? Being? Well, this debate goes on for long. In fact, it started around 400 BC. Socrates said this, doing is more important than being. But about 50 years later, his own student, Aristotle, came by and said, Socrates was wrong. Being is more important than doing. And this debate has gone on for a long, long time, but almost 2,000 years, more than 2,000 years, until it was settled around 1970, actually, by our famous American philosopher, Frank Sinatra. He said this. He said, doobie, doobie, doo. I don't know. Do you know this song? Anybody? What is it called? Mike? Strangers in the night, yeah. So he settled that. He said doing and being are both important. Okay, both important equally. But primarily, primarily doing has to be built on being. So being in Christ, experiencing his love, frees us to do the act of loving others. Okay? So let me briefly um, mention the um, good news of the gospel. I think most of us who come to church uh, take this gospel for granted, but let me just briefly run through this in a single verse from Romans 6, 20. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Our sin separates us from enjoying the gift that God has for us. But God does not leave us separated from him, as you know. There's a big but, actually, here. All right, but the gift of God. Everybody is on one side of this equation. The wages of sin condemns each of us to death. So all humans are on the left side of this equation. But God has made a provision for us through Christ Jesus our Lord to take that step of faith when we say we believe in him and in his death and resurrection for our sin, he transfers us from the left to the right. We are able to experience the love of Christ in a personal way. And now I think most of you have heard this story many times, but if you have not yet committed this personal uh, I mean, committed yourself personally to following Christ, please do talk to one of your pastors or your elders and express the need to follow Christ because this is the foundation on which is built the rest of 
being able to follow him, being able to love others, being able to love yourself. It's all built, predicated on knowing who you are as, a, as a, somebody that Christ died for. Okay, now I'm going to the rest of the parable, the story that we just read. So first we saw the need to love myself properly is based on an understanding of the fact that God loves me. So he's told the story of a person going from where? Jerusalem to Jericho. How far was the distance? Does anybody know? Just make a guess. Nobody wants to make a guess? You're 50 miles? One, five miles. That's, that's not far, actually. I mean, that's close. Somebody said 600 miles? My goodness. <laughs> All right. There is Jerusalem to Jericho. Fairly close, actually. And it's 23 miles. Okay, that's not far from what you said. So 23 miles. And it says he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And that's true because it actually goes down from uh, uh, 2,100 feet down to about minus 800 feet. So about 3,000 feet descending into this. And this is a very rugged place. I think some of you might have traveled this road. My wife and I had a chance to do that some time ago. It was very, very rugged. It's, it's mountainous and you know, a lot of caves and things like that. So Jesus, um, when he was telling the person went from Jerusalem, Jericho, people would know what kind of a road that he had to travel on. Very dangerous road, very desolate, full of twists and turns and so on. Lots of caves where robbers could hide. In fact, this place was, uh, the road was called the Bloody Pass or the Way of Blood because so many people had been killed on this road. So this person that is traveling from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho gets beaten up on the way. Um, and what we see in this are three kinds of people. Okay, who are the three kinds of people? First one is the robbers. Okay? And their philosophy is very simply this. What's yours is mine and I will take it. Okay? And then we see two people, the priest and the Levite, both religious people. That's the second kind of person. And their philosophy is, what's mine is mine and I will keep it. Right? They, don't, they don't want to share. Then comes a good Samaritan. His philosophy is, um, what's mine is yours and I will share it. Okay? Who do we most like, I mean, resemble the most? In each situation, you know, sometimes it's easy for us to say, hey, this is mine, I don't want to share it, you know. I have my time, I have my agenda, I don't want to give it away to somebody else. Now, why, you might wonder, is there a monkey on this page, right? There's no monkey business going on, don't worry. It's actually because it illustrates a very good principle. In the past, when the jungle people wanted to catch the monkey, which is very elusive, you cannot run after it, it runs fast and so on, so they just take a coconut and curve, take out a small piece of it, it's a small hole, and they put something shiny in it. Right? It's shiny, worthless, but shiny. This monkey is always attracted to the shiny part, so it sees the shiny part, so it wants to take the shiny thing out of the coconut. But when the monkey puts the hand in there, grabs the uh, shiny thing, it's hard to take it out <laughs> because the hole is not big enough to close the fist and take it out. But the monkey is very attracted to this uh, uh, with this, to this trinket. So when people come to catch the monkey, the monkey doesn't release this. It holds on to what it has. But then it loses its life in the process because it wants to hold on to something worthless. 
right? Oftentimes, I believe the priest and the Levite represents this kind of approach to life. We have these trinkets that we think are important, we hold on to it, and we think that that brings us joy and so on and so forth. And we, God is offering something better, but we, we have a hard time just releasing it, yeah? So this is something that you can ask yourself, which kind of person do you represent in most situations? So how did the Samaritan actually love the neighbor? He did a lot of things to love his neighbor. He saw him, he took pity on him, and so on. I'm just going to summarize it in this next page. He did 10 different things. He saw him, first of all. The other two also saw him, right? But they didn't go to him. They didn't have the pity that this person had. So first of all, he had pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine, put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him, paid money, and then returned to take care of him later. Okay? So he did a lot of things. So love in effect, is an action word, as you can see. He did things that showed him, showed his love, showed his care for his neighbor. So how can I love my neighbor? Um, and I'm going to basically give you some points to think about from this story. <clears throat> so first of all, the key thing is, do you have the heart? If you have the heart, then everything else becomes easy. The first thing that you need to ask, that we need to ask... Please give me the heart for other people. Help me to develop that kind of care and love that God himself has for the people around us. As you walk along your own Samaritan road, what are the needs and opportunities for ministry that God has placed in your path? You'll find that if we are not so much into ourselves, we'll see that there's a lot of opportunities all around us all the time. Do we see people through God's eyes? You know, the Samaritan, he was walking along, he only saw, he, he not only saw just a person, or a, maybe he was a Jew, Jewish person, he could have seen him as an enemy of the Samaritans, but he didn't see that. He saw a person made in God's image that needed his help. <clears throat> and he didn't just wait for that person to say, can you help me? He went to him, he took the initiative to go to help that person. And then he saw interruptions on his own schedule as an opportunity for ministry. Oftentimes we don't see that, right? We think that, oh, I do have to get here or there. I don't have that much. I don't have uh, this or that to be able to um, see these uh, ministry, I mean, see these interruptions as God's appointments for ministry. Will we take the risks and make the sacrifices that are always inevitable in ministry? You know, the Samaritan, he took a lot of risks, didn't he? I mean, he could have said, well, this person is lying down. Maybe he's pretending to be dead so that if I come close, he will beat me up or something. Or he could have said, maybe the robbers that were there before are still waiting. Maybe it's a risky thing to stop and try to help, right? So, but um, this is the question for us all of the ministries in, involves risk, taking risks and making the sacrifice. I was telling you about my friend, uh, Mike and Mary. They're sitting right next to my family here. Mike and Mary Gerhard, I've known them for about 30 years, more than 30 years actually. Um, used to live in DeKalb, northern Illinois. And Mike and Mary were instrumental in me marrying my wife. Actually, they were seriously my romantic advisors in those days. Yeah. 
Uh, I still remember Mary advising me to go and talk to B. So B, I think you should be very grateful to, <laughs> to Mary there. Anyway, so Mike and Mary um, were campus uh, ministers there, full-time missionaries with the Navigators at that point. And Mike was the one who discipled me for, many, uh, for the first year when I was staying with them. Anyway, later on, they moved from DeKalb to the city of Aurora, to the very part, very bad part of the, uh, of the city, where there was a lot of shooting, a lot of drugs and so on. In about 1988, 89, they moved there. Uh, and oftentimes they asked, they were asked in the past, you know, how can you take your children? They had many young children at that time. Now they have five grown ones. But they lived there in the midst of this uh, drug-infested, uh, a lot of violence going on and so on and so forth. There was risks involved in that kind of ministry, but they took that risk. And um, by the grace of God, that whole neighborhood is transformed now. They're not just them, a few other people also joined to uh, try to reach that uh, city for Christ. And so a lot of good things have happened, and the whole neighborhood is completely safe now and transformed, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's because um, being able to see that God is oftentimes calling us to make, take those risks and... Uh, to be able to see those opportunities as opportunities for ministry and to make those sacrifices. All right. And then this good Samaritan, if you remember, he came back. He paid the money, asked him to take care of it, and then he came back. So oftentimes we are called to a lifetime of ministry, not just... It's easy, right? Easy say, hey, there's a need over there. I just give the money for that need one time, and it's done. It's much easier to do, but it's much harder to commit to a lifetime of service and ministry because God oftentimes doesn't need your money. He doesn't need anything. He wants your heart, right? He wants your heart, and he wants your full involvement. Um, We were walking along the uh, Samaritan Road ourselves five years ago when God moved us to Indonesia, and we saw the need there. We had never met any refugees before when we were living in America. But when we got there, there was a church there that was ministering to refugees. And we started going to that church. And that's how we started getting involved in refugee ministry. We felt called to that ministry. And we started to interact, started to get to know them and so on. And that was five years ago, 2014. Uh, I'm going to ask my wife to come up here. And we're going to share a little bit about this Uh, experience that we have had ministering in Indonesia. This is, by the way, my very first uh, Chinese wife. (laughs) I have my daughter, Sarah. She's going to be graduating next Sunday from Wheaton. And uh, my son, (laughs) Nathaniel, he is uh, 14 years old. He's endeared himself permanently unto my wife by becoming a comic comic book writer with the express purpose of helping us raise some money for the ministry back in India. We have already raised over $1,500 selling his comic books. Anyway, let me talk a little bit about ministry in Indonesia that we have been doing for the last uh, five years or so. Um, A refugee um, is somebody that has fled his country in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. Um, There's actually 22 million refugees around the world, roughly, Um, and uh, the the ones that have the most are uh, Turkey, about 3 million, Pakistan, about 1.5 million, and so on. In Indonesia, there's not many. There's only about 15,000, okay, not many, and half of them roughly from Afghanistan, and the rest you can see these countries, so only 15,000 or so refugees there. 
And then the process of refugee uh, um, resettlement is very detailed and involved. Normally it takes five to seven years, but it's now become harder to resettle refugees. So now that process has increased. They are advising formally about 20 years or 25 years, something like that. So uh, it's become more of a permanent situation for these refugees living in Indonesia. How do they survive? Most of them come with some savings, but that savings, of course, runs out after a year or two, and then they have to pretty much beg, steal, or borrow. There are some organizations, for instance, IOM, International Organization for Migration, CWS, Christian uh, Church Worldwide Services, Jesuit Relief Organizations. All of these uh, are trying to help. So roughly two-thirds, I would say 60-65% of the refugees living in Indonesia get some kind of support, but not all of them. So what are their main struggles? It's access to education. They don't, cannot go to school legally, and uh, they cannot work legally. Okay? So um, they struggle with loneliness and despair. They don't trust each other and so on. So it's very, very hard for them. And, uh, you know, holding on to hope when you have a long, uncertain future ahead of you is not easy. Yeah? So we try to address their needs uh, in all these areas the best we can based on our calling, based on the biblical mandate in the, in the Word, talking about, um, you know, feeding people who are hungry and visiting people who are in the prison and who are sick and so on. So we have tried our best um, to see this need as uh, an opportunity for us not only to meet the physical need but also to reflect Christ uh, to these people in a way that will make them uh, realize that, you know, there is a future and a hope when they trust Christ. So I'm going to just turn it over to my wife to explain in detail what we are doing at the moment and how we are engaging with refugees. Okay, thank you, honey. Well, it's, it's good to be here. Um, I, you know, we spend a lot of time here, and I live in in this area for about seven years. So this is like home to to me. <clears throat> okay, there are um, many aspects of the refugee ministry, and in this presentation, I would like to touch and give you a flavor of what is going on in, uh, in our part of the world uh, where we are involved in this ministry. Uh, first one is regarding kids' ministry. We started this program um, <clears throat> about uh, September last year when we found out that IOM um, <clears throat> stopped having any kind of education program because of budget restriction. So at that time, uh, we... We used our uh, churches as three small rooms, and we brought about 50 uh, kids each Saturday for two hours and taught them English. Um, This past January, God has blessed us with a place, um, what we call the RUCO. And uh, RUCO is like a a double house and um, a store. So through an Indonesian ministry partner, we have been blessed with this RUCO. And uh, this is where every Saturday um, from 2.30 till 4.30, uh, <clears throat> the kids will walk over to the place for their lessons. Because the RUCO is situated pretty much right uh, next, to the places where, uh, next to the place where the kids are being um, housed. 
Each Saturday, we serve about 65 kids, and we teach them reading, writing, listening, and speaking. And they are grouped in three levels, as you can see on the slide. And they are grouped according to their ages and abilities. So level one um, is for the five and seven years old. And level two consists of children from ages eight to 11. Level three, we have the teenagers, um, ages 12 to 18. Um, God has blessed us so much in, in a way that we, uh, we have 24 International Teachers College uh, students, many of whom attend our church, and also part of a, uh, another program that we started two years ago, which we call the Host Family Program. Every Saturday, um, 12 of the teachers will travel from the university to this RUCO uh, to teach the kids. And um, you probably can talk to Ed and uh, Pastor Dave um, about our uh, traffic situation in, in Jakarta area. So normally it would take about an hour to an hour and a half just to get um, to the place where they minister to the kids. In addition to that, we are also being blessed by some Afghan uh, refugee who are now um, brothers in Christ. So these five people um, help us in communication difficulties. Uh, just for your information, some of these kids do not know English at all. So um, the brothers um, t- will take turn and help us in um, communicating to these kids. We could not have done this ministry without them. <clears throat> okay, next is about women's uh, craft. This has been something that we both wanted to do for a while, but this past February, uh, we started the women's craft class. This class meets once a month for two hours. And the goal of our, of the goals of this class is, um, not just teaching them, uh, craft like quilting or crocheting, but it is for the women to just get away from their confined surrounding, um, and just being away, uh, from all the responsibilities they have as moms and wives. Uh, and just to spend some time with other ladies, building relationship, learning, and sharing. We have uh, <clears throat> ladies from Afghanistan, Sudan, Sri Lanka, Vietnam, Ethiopia, Somali, and Iraq that attend this class. We also have um, <clears throat> English and Indonesian classes for the adults. At the moment, we have three classes going. One uh, class for men, and um, the teacher is one of the Indonesian pastor. Um, Nope, sorry, I made a mistake. The teacher is a former, um, the teacher is a a Wheaton graduate, actually, um, who moved there and uh, settled. For the women, we have a class going, and that is taught by an international school uh, teacher, again, from America, and has the heart to minister to these women. Um, we also have an Indonesian pastor um, that uh, teach a class at the moment, and uh, he teaches English and Indonesian language. Uh, I believe end of this month, we will be adding another class 
um, advanced uh, English class for the women. And uh, a sister from another church uh, felt led to, st- uh, <clears throat> to do this class, and she is an Indonesian English teacher. Um, a group of our refugee friends will be attending an online uh, <clears throat> this, uh, class, uh, and this then they will be studying or learning how to start an online business. Again, this is in partnership with another uh, friend who attends another church as well. For us, this is really important because one of our desires is to equip our refugee friends with skills they can use in the countries where they finally settle. About a month ago, I received a call from a sister in the Lord who is working on her master's degree in clinical psychology. And she was wondering if um, any of our refugee friends can use her counseling service. I was very excited about this because just a few days before, an Afghan uh, young mom talked with me and shared with me the the fact that she suffered from depression and is in need of help. I was just amazed at how God works. Answering the cry of this young mom through a sister that he has been already preparing. Um, From David's presentation earlier, you may have learned that not every refugee um, are being supported by organizations like IOM or CWS. We personally know many families and singles that have no financial support at all. With God's help, we are currently able to provide um, <clears throat> three families and one single a place to live uh, through donations of families and friends. And I think um, Pastor Dave met one of these family, so we have a picture of that uh, family up here. Um, <clears throat> we also know of two of our friends who decided to create some sort of a um, internship opportunities, and four of our refugee friends are able to take part in it. So they have, they not only learn the skill, but also they are able to earn um, a living from participating in the program. Uh, earlier this year, while David and I were at a meeting um, at CWS about refugee ministry, we met a young man from Afghanistan. He was there to give a presentation to some of the uh, people who are in his, in, in his situation about how to survive when the support ends. See, CWS um, the policy is such that once a child, a young person, turns 18, the support stops. So, um, so he was just giving some ideas on what to do and that kind of thing. At the end of that presentation, I spoke with him and asked him how he survived or how he uh, met his obligations um, <clears throat> after the support has ended, which was a little over a year ago. So he told me that he made crafts, which includes painting. And uh, um, I was curious, of course, and asked him to show me some of the pictures of the crafts and the paintings that he has made. I was so blown away by the gift. He was such a a talented young man. So 
Through the help of many friends from church and our community, we were able to secure um, <clears throat> free of charge booths for him to sell his crafts. And uh, there is, uh, we already f- had, we had two already and one more to come on June 1st. Um, in addition to this, we also have a couple Afghan brothers who love to cook. And uh, so once a month, we organize a way for them to sell their foods. Um, and I'm not sure whether you are, uh, you, you know, um, the rice called kabuli and also biryani. They make really good ones. And last but not least, apart from me, um, meeting the um, physical needs, we also, our goal is to meet the spiritual needs. So we are, so uh, we do have Bible studies going on. Every Thursday afternoon, um, some of the refugees uh, would gather together and study the Bible, and they are led by these Afghan brothers that came to Christ a couple years ago, and our pastor overseeing that, that effort. And on Saturday mo- afternoon, at the same time that we have the kids' program, uh, we also have a seeker's Bible study, again, led by the actually two Afghan brothers. For the women, an alpha study is being done, and that is led by two ladies from another church. As you listen to this, you know, uh, you may be wondering how you could uh, be of help or of support to us. First, I would like to ask you more than anything is to pray for us as we serve these refugee friends. We need wisdom and protection as we serve and interact with them. Um, two, pray for the kids' education. Pray for the kids that come to our program. Pray that they see Jesus as we teach them. Also for our lovely teachers who get together to develop, to develop lesson plans each week and uh, serve tirelessly. Pray that God will use them to reach these children one lesson at a time, and that they gain valuable experiences as they themselves are being equipped at the university. And one of our desires is to start a school, fully staffed by uh, refugees, refugee teachers and refugee administrators in the near future. And right before we left to come here last week, we were, um, we, uh, and international school in uh, close to our home um, donated a bunch of books, in, um, mainly mathematics. And, you know, um, I, I guess I didn't share my background, but I am an educator and a, a homeschool mom for 21 years. So I cannot wait to see this book being used to educate these precious children. For our, our craft class, Please pray for relationships to be built. Most of these ladies come from a background that they don't trust each other. And also for us, to minister, uh, as we minister to them, help us, uh, help, pray for us that we can show genuine love and acceptance that comes only from Jesus. Uh, we also need more teachers for our English and Indonesian classes for the adults. And pray for more internship opportunities for our friends. So again, they can learn and uh, gain valuable experiences while waiting for a country to settle.
Pray for more ways to sell the crafts that our friends make. Pray for the seekers to find Jesus as they come and study his word. And for the believers to grow deeper in their walk with Jesus as they study and lead. Pray for us as we work with different churches. Um, in about a month, a group of uh, <clears throat> friends from an Anglican church in New York will be sending a team to do a, some sort of a VBS kind of program. Pray for wisdom also for us as we work through doctrinal issues that crop up recently. And uh, pray for the two interns who are coming from the U.S. One is a Wheaton graduate, and the other one is very special to us because it's our other daughter um, who is finishing her second year at Taylor University. She will be working with us um, to help us out for the summer. Pray for our, our librarian friend who is putting together a library for the, for the children. We hope to be able to uh, have like a library hour so that the kids could come um, to read and to be read to. And this is another way of us uh, interacting with them and sharing the love of Christ. I want to end this presentation with, a, with the two verses in Matthew, Matthew 9, 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciple, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In this verse, Jesus pointed out the right condition of the field and lack of workers. Then he asked us to pray for laborers to go into that field. In this case, I'm applying this verse to the refugee ministry, but it can be any field of ministry. Dear friends, if is God calling you to join him in this harvest field or maybe some other harvest field, would you respond just like Isaiah the prophet, here am I, send me. If you sense that God is calling you to serve him in this field with us, we would be delighted to hear from you. And the last slide contains our contact information. Feel free to take that down and contact us if you have any questions or want to learn more about the ministry. And also, if you, felt, if you feel led to contribute financially, the bank information is also on this slide. Thank you so much for listening. God's God bless you. Uh, it looks like I still have 11 seconds, yeah? <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.